Oh, I got, I got a joke for you, but you got to promise you won't uh, put it on the show. Oh, come on, man. Now you're going to make me edit the podcast. <laughs> okay, don't worry. I'm not going to tell you the joke. <laughs> you should tell it no, and no. just let the chips fall where they may. <laughs> that's the Catching Foxes way. It's the Catching Foxes way. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's your chum. Oh, man. Okay, I'll let it. I, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'll let it. No, I, I don't trust you now. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Baby, you can trust me. Matt, that's a really good call. That is a really, really good call. <laughs> For example, when we did the uh, All People Sex episode, I thought that joke was going to get cut. And then he releases it, and it says All People Sex in the title. And I was like, oh, no. No, 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 no. Turns Uh, out, Luke, it was a good call because that was our highest downloaded episode of all time. (laughs) Yeah. So, Matt, how you been, man? You barely breathing? Uh, Barely breathing. Just getting off the plane? Yeah, yeah. I was. It was great. I was just in Wisconsin. Oh, by the way, I haven't started recording anything. Is that okay? Do you need me to record something? You know how you guys go one, two, three, and you record? Do you yeah, need me to do it? Yeah, anything? record your end. I forget sometimes when we interview yeah. people that they have that capability. Wait, then how we do I hear the joke? Oh, yeah, you still have to say the joke. And then we'll All just right. record. All right, you're going to promise you're going to edit it, though. Yeah. Nah, you bust. <laughs> no, I will, I will. I All will. right, so... If you get the question right, we'll let you in. Trumpet blast. Doors open up. Welcome. Congratulations. <laughs> I detest you. That was inappropriate. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, we have great ideas that we never follow, follow through with a lot, so... It's our five-year plan. Uh, Matt, what's your five-year plan for, for Pints with Aquinas? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know. I got, some, I, got, I, got some, I got some plans that I'm looking at doing, but nothing. I, one, of the, one of the disadvantages of working on your own is that you kind of lack that kind of communal aspect yeah. of people who are encouraging you and planning with you, and that's not my strong suit. So it's a, you know, not a great asset when you go out on your own. But you are entrepreneurial. Like you have, I'm entrepreneurial. Yeah, yeah, definitely entrepreneurial. I'm just not strategic. Mm. So I get really excited about stuff, and about three percent of it works and works well. But uh, it's the follow through and the planning and those sorts of things that aren't my strong suit. I got you. It's a lot of work. No, I'm saying we would be better if we both weren't so much alike when it comes to that stuff. Like if we had a good balance. Yeah. Yeah. Of uh, like, I don't like in a weird way. Me and we're able to complement each other so well because we're so alike what do you mean you you mean you and goma yeah yeah, like in terms of i think probably one of our like it's 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 kind of odd because i think we're like the same way because it's just one of us so i'm sorry just wrong because it is the both of us uh what the hell am i to trying to say here because we're both that like that like that way it doesn't really it doesn't really make a big difference that there is two of us it's like there like it was only one uh, because okay. like it, we're not really complimenting the other i see what you mean yeah. if that makes sense although when, just, I, when i listen to the two of you you do seem to compliment each other in a lot of different ways you know yeah no just not terms of how we approach work yeah, sure, yeah sure. not at all how we approach work <laughs> well one day when you both finally quit your jobs and beg everybody to support you like a pathetic australian uh, at that point, you might be able to quit your job and spend time strategizing. Yeah, that's it. That's what we need to do. Yeah, Luke, we need to become more Australian. There we go. 
I'm two steps ahead of you because I did enjoy studying Australia in the second grade. <laughs> so I'm two steps ahead of you. I got drunk on Foster's last night. <laughs> <laughs> That's the third time I've heard of that beer in the past three days. What is going on? Uh-oh. Uh, it's a sign from God. Maybe yeah. you're under spiritual attack. <laughs> uh, so who's going to quit the Internet here out of the three of us? This guy. <laughs> it is not me. <laughs> I just downloaded an update to Fortnite and got another Xbox Live 12 month membership. What's Fortnite? It is the oh, game. Oh, that's a game that I keep hearing about. Yeah, it's yeah. the game. The game. It's fun. For people who are like super into video games, They kind, some of them like it, but most of them hate it because it's just a fun, simple, it's not gory, it's not gross. You end up having more fun than, you know, you, you don't get pissed off if you lose. I mean, there's a little bit of that. But it's just a fun and interesting game. And so you run around this huge map playing it, and uh, it's awesome. And it, the company just made, in 10 months, made $1 billion and it's a off the game. And it's a game that's free to play and free to win. Like, it's not like they don't nickel and dime you to try to, like. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, so it's not like yeah. Clash of Clans. Where you, yeah, no, yeah, they're yeah. awful. They're awful. But this is like, hey, you want, like, an outfit? Or a character, you pay $9 and you can have one. And it's just like fun stuff like that. And they have made a billion dollars just doing stuff like that. It's incredible. Yeah. I, one of the advantages of the internet is that we can make a living off of it yeah. or a side hustle. One of the disadvantages of that is the temptation is to always remain online, you know, and to always feel like not just that you're missing out, but that you could be doing more. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So what that, – that's a really good point. That – like always being tempted by the op- by the like opportunity cost of your other choices, right? It's endless. You could always start another vlog, another podcast, another whatever. How? So is that like what? What caused you to want to quit the internet? Well, actually, first let's just really like back up for for a bit. Like, what are you doing? Uh, so from August second till September second, I'm giving away my phone and I'm changing the passwords on my computers so that I don't know them. And I'm going to have a complete phone and internet fast for a month. So you're you're and still using you... keyboards, right? No, no, you're not. You're not. You're not are using. You, are you joking? <laughs> are you joking? What? You're not using your computer at all. Oh, correct. Yeah, no keyboards, not even offline. Okay, because right. you said that giving up the passwords on my computer, and I was like, does that mean like someone has to enter it in so you can do your? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yep. Nope. No. No podcasting. No checking stats. No seeing if Patreon's Man. plummeting through the floor. Nothing. <laughs> so, so um, you wrote an article for the Catholic Gentleman blog, I believe, right? Where yeah. you talked about this, and you brought up a really good point that I never had stopped to really. That I didn't stop to think about at all because we're all about the same age. Uh, you mm-hmm. were all th- we're all th- thirty five. Gomer, you're thirty six now, right? Yep. Yeah. So I, thanks for the uh, present that you sent me of JP 2s the Roman triptych. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm gonna wait for about twenty years after the fact. You know, I always like at least like once a year. I always, I always like, I, I, I like always, I always stop and think i should really buy that um anyways <laughs> um and that like you so you so you matt brought up the fact that you haven't been like you've been online pretty much since the age of what 16 15? but yeah 15 16? or 16 yeah yeah i mean the internet came in a little later 
in Australia, but I was about it was about the year no, two thousand, I suppose, that we started downloading guitar tabs and you know using dial up and stuff like that. But the point was, it, I wonder. I would be interested to know in sixteen years or whatever it's been, nearly two decades. You know how many days have I been offline entirely? Like I'm sure it's more than I expect, but it might be what, yeah. like two hundred at the most. But probably a, and then you know once the internet became a lot more easier to access. Certainly since like two thousand and six, say, you know, let's yeah, just, yeah, mm-hmm. probably probably like like almost every day. And then, you know, I take weekends off here and there, but almost every day. And so the point in the article is I'm not trying to pretend I'm a martyr or anything. This is just what people called life 20 years ago. So in some ways, it's not a big deal. But in other ways, it's a really big deal. Yeah. And I feel, I, agree. I feel anxious about it. Like, I feel nervous. Like, I'm, I'm I, I, yeah, I don't know how else to express it, but I, I'm, I'm apprehensive. I'm hopeful. Mm-hmm. I'm scared a little. Um, yeah. I'm going to be really curious to see where you are on like day 10 mm-hmm. you know like like after you've had the whole like oh this is great i've got like i'm you know like you know the first like when like after you stop to like ride that like wave a bit because that's really around the time when like most when like most individuals if they're on a trip you get a little homesick around that mm. point in time and ho- homesick's an interesting way to put it because if you think of the internet like a physical place that's where everyone is so in a sense, it is like home. Like this is where we all hang out. This is where we do the things that make us feel relaxed and comfortable. This is the space we know how to navigate sometimes. And so to remove yourself from that is in a sense to remove yourself from what feels like home. So yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah. But the, I mean, the reason I'm doing it is, uh, you know, I say often like I'm, well, I'm an addict. You know, I mean that in a loose sort of colloquial way, not in a sort of uh, clinical way. But when I say that, people often think, oh, poor you. And then I want to be like, no, 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 you are too. I'm just smarter than you are. And I realize that about myself. And you, you haven't yet. So I, I really see it in everybody around me. And it's very easy to kind of go out and eat and things. And you see people always on their phone. You think, gosh, what are they doing? And then you realize you're doing it too. And you're like, mm-hmm. I just... I, I mean, this started when I started giving up the internet for weekends, like Friday to Monday. And I just found that my days would move a whole lot slower. They would linger beautifully i would wake up i wouldn't pick up my phone i would walk out wonder what i should do make a coffee sit on the couch i wasn't anxious to run off anywhere else to look at anything because there was nothing to do i would do the dishes without listening to a podcast which is super weird you know i would and (laughs) um and I i wouldn't have in the back of my head while i'm playing with my kids you know how's that tweet doing i i how would i how should i respond to this troll or how you know I should do this. That wasn't there. It wasn't an option. And so it was nice. Mm-hmm. So it. So I'm looking forward to just detoxing for a month. I mean, I, I think this is similar to when I did Whole30, which, you know, almost, I think it's 50% of millennials have done now here. Yeah, <laughs> so, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. You, get, you go kind of really strict paleo for 30 days. You're like, oh, I could, I could try it. You know, I could do anything for 30 days. So it'll be fun. What is there anything specific that, like, caused this? Was there any, like, moments or... Any, or, or is it just kind of like a, over time you had the idea and you're like, okay, I think now's the time? Well, two months ago, I, I uh, hired somebody to take over all of my social media. Um, shout out to Kenan Doyle. And he, I, you know, so I pay him monthly and I said, change all of my passwords because I, you know, I don't trust me. And so I did that. And that was a big step. 
And then I found I would still go to Twitter and see what people responded to the tweets he was sending out for me. And so then, so then I used Covenant Eyes to block Twitter as if it was a site that I shouldn't be on. Mm. And so now I can't even go there. And so it's almost like I'm just slowly weaning myself off it. I really do believe that social media is a net negative for mankind. Yeah, I am like, very strongly towards yeah. that as well. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't know if I would say overall, like in terms of its essence... But I definitely think right now – I was actually just talking with Arlene Spensley about this earlier, like earlier on. Something's happened with Twitter where it has gotten especially like um, really negative and decisive. Like it's – I can't go on it now without just being like just so stressed out. Exactly. Just so it keeps over- you in this perpetual state of fear, anxiety, and stress. It's like the yeah. news. Like the news uh, seems to have a vested interest in making you feel afraid and therefore getting defensive. And so you've got like MSNBC, CNN over here, you've got Fox over here making us all afraid and defensive at one another. And it's like why are we continually engaging in this? And it's, social media is a little like that as well. And it's also like the shrillest wins. Like whoever's the most offended, whoever's the most obnoxious wins because humility doesn't go viral, as Father Nikonor Ostriaco said to me the other day on my podcast. It's 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 the it's the you know blunt comments, the offensive comments, the outrageous comments that get mm-hmm. get retweeted. I, I haven't read a tweet that changed my life. I haven't read a tweet that really led me closer to Christ. Maybe it made me feel a certain way, but you know, I could also probably do that by mm-hmm. t- talking with people I love or reading sacred scripture and things like that. So uh, that's what I, I mean, I... you could, but a tweet is a tweet, and you can't replace that with a wife. Do you guys <laughs> think... <laughs> nope. In any way... Honey, could you speak we've... to me in 240 characters, please? Because too, it's too much. What you're saying is too much. Just break it down to two sentences for me, and then I'll respond, and then you respond. <laughs> We'll go back and forth as if we're having a conversation, but we have to write it down like it's a telegraph. <laughs> and then I and and then I'm gonna then I'm gonna quote your tweet to make to shame what you said in front of my kids, so they'll see what you said and and I'll do a mic drop on you. Yeah, that's what people do when they quote your tweet, you know. Mm. I think I like. Oh gosh, I have so many thoughts about this. Like, so I really do take pride in the fact that with on our podcast. We've really tried to be aware of what's going on within our like post-Christian world, and really trying to respond not in ways that like go along with the like really try to seek like what is a good like how to put this to like use terms that the, like kids say. We try to be like woke, but in a sense that is like in line with like what the Lord would want. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I really do think that we do our best to, to try to say, like, what is the truth here and what's the true charitable response to all of to like all of this. But I'm getting to a point now where constantly having to do that feels exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's wearing down your resolve all the time. Yeah. Like there's like right now one of the big debates going on is with immigrants and like Europe and with and within like World Cup and how, what do we call these on people who like who won because half of them and half of them, like probably about eighty percent of the guys on the team have parents who are from other oh, are, are from countries other than France yeah and it's become this huge deal and like half the players on the team are like no I'm a French person. Call me that. The other half are like, I don't really care, you know. And you have all these people arguing over it, and I'm just kind of like, I, I, I can't take it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I, because, I just, yeah. 
Well, it's a couple of things. It's one, it's like we're expected to have an opinion on everything. And so if you were to ask anybody on the street what's their opinion of whatever, immigration or Trump or the economy, everyone's got something to say, but almost nobody knows what the heck they're talking about. And I don't either. And it's weird that we all feel like we have to have an opinion, but now we all have our personal publishing platform. It's like there are as many news outlets as there are people now. And then people have multiple news outlets because they have several Twitter accounts. And Yeah. And I don't know, it's like you can get interesting information on Twitter, but like, what do you lose? It's like, this is what I say in my article. It's like, the internet is taking my time away from something. It's not taking it away from nothing. And what's that something? Well, it's like bourbon on the back porch with my mate. It's uh, my wife and I having a conversation. It's playing Lego with my kid. I, now, I'm not demonizing the internet because we're having a conversation over the internet. I make money over the internet. I get the irony. I just think that I, I, I need to do something radical. Luke, you said this before about your personality. You, you have to go nuclear or nothing. And I'm like that too. I'm not great at moderating my, <laughs> my passions. and my, I'm not great at it. it it's so I, I want to do something like this. Um, yeah, because yeah, my wife's like, well, why don't you just go on the internet just on Mondays? I'm like, you don't understand me. Yeah, yeah no. 13 years and Luke understands me more than you, Cameron. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> and I always will, Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> That is awesome. For me, the funny thing with dealing with social media, like when I am like publishing something, putting something out there, uh, I watch it like a hawk and I get the anxiety, you know, and um, and to me, the anxiety manifests itself. I wouldn't have called it anxiety until, you know, recently, but it manifests itself in how many, you know, monitoring people's response to it. (sighs) And then the the nervous energy you get when you're monitoring it, right? So how many likes mm-hmm. did it get? Who, not just how many comments, but who commented? Like, yeah. so on, on Facebook, I'm I'm compared to what I was, I would say a year ago, maybe two years ago. I am ninety percent out of Facebook, and Facebook was always that that was the main social media thing for me. But the um, the experience of it in, in in just drifting away from it. There's still a couple things that'll bring me back. Obviously, the Catching Foxes um, page. And then the other one is the Forming Intentional Disciples closed group. And by having those two things, um, really, when I pulled back from that Forming Intentional Disciples group, kind of by accident, um, I just got busy with some stuff and it it dropped out of my daily routine of multi. I mean, literally, I would sit down on my computer at work, fire up the browser and just go right to that page and leave it open all day at work. And I was super active and involved in it. And then every time I would push something where, like, I initiate, you know, I wrote the post and now I want to see the commentary, like, yeah. I would obsess over it. I think it's so great you're honest about that, Goma, because you're saying what everyone else feels but doesn't want to say because they're worried that it makes them seem egotistical or something. But this is what we're all experiencing. And it's no, it, it's no secret that these platforms are developed to, to be addictive. That's the best thing you can do if you know, the amount of time one looks at a screen, you're able to sell ads for more and more. Yeah. It's, it's, it's less mm-hmm. of a news feed and more of a poker machine. Yeah. You know, it's, so yeah. I'm, I'm so glad to be out of that. Yeah. I'm really thrilled. That's been great. Um, but one of the points I make in my article, too, is, like, how do we distract ourselves from ourselves? Like, I don't like myself a lot of the time because I find that I'm anxious and moody and my head's a mess. 
And so in order to escape myself, I listen to podcasts. I watch Netflix. I turn noise on to kind of to, to fragment my interior life, right? So I'm, so I'm not one unit that has to be with himself. I'm now all over the show. And mm-hmm. I don't like that. I, I, I do, but I don't. I don't feel rested after five and a half episodes of The Office, you know, while I'm falling asleep, while I'm checking Twitter, while I'm texting somebody. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to live like that. So I need to do something. I don't know what that is. And so I'm going to take a month off and just try and be bored and try and read good books and try to listen to beautiful music. That's all. It's, you know. I'm so and, excited, and, and, that you... and I want to, and I want to love our Lord. Like I, I want to yeah. be, I want to be holy. I meet holy people, and I think I want to be that. Uh, and none of us can say since 2006 we don't have time. We used to say that, and then YouTube hit, and we're like, oh wow, apparently I do because I just spent three hours watching cat videos or something. You know, I want to, I want to love holy scripture. I want to, I, I want to develop my interior life. What is, I, what is your I, prayer yeah. life like now? Uh, now it's, you know, I'm faithful to morning and night prayer and I'll pray the Jesus prayer throughout the day here and there, but, but there's a lot that needs to be developed. Oh, it's, you're uh, so uh, Eastern. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're so, you don't do the Akathis. But I'm wearing a scapula right now. You have to be proud. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, Worlds colliding. <laughs> yeah, but for me, you know, like I, um. Sometimes my faith is more of a math equation and less of a love affair to butcher Chesterton. You know, like, especially I'm very stimulated intellectually. I find myself very skeptical of emotions. And so I feel like I've shut down that part of my heart that used to allow itself to be prompted by the Holy Spirit to say a word, to to prophesy prophesy on something. You know, those things that that used to happen to me. Like I, w- I would be in waiting rooms at a doctor's office and I'm like, oh, the Lord just told me I need to pray for someone right here. Okay, where is she? Oh, there she is. Okay. And I went over and like m- crazy stuff would happen. But it's like I became cynical somewhere along the way and I retreat to my head because that's safe and I can't trust any kind of – and so it's – I feel like something's happened where it's become a little dry. I'm being a little too personal here perhaps, but I would like to work on that and just ask the Holy Spirit to help me love his word. Um, because I don't, I don't love the Bible. I don't like reading the Bible. I'm not proud of that. I wish it weren't true, but darn it, it is. I pick it up and I feel like I may as well be reading the the newspaper about someone I don't, you know, really care to read about. Like, let me read Aquinas. Let me read Augustine. Let me read Nietzsche, anyone, but you know, the scriptures really. And I get that that's atrocious. I'm not saying that in a cavalier way. I'm just trying to be honest. Uh, but that's another thing that I plan on doing is just begging our Lord to pour out his spirit and to give me a love for his word. So those are some of the things I want to do yeah. while I'm away from all these distracting noises. I've been um, – so I'm currently uh, – have this one audiobook that I have listened to called The Devil and the White uh, like City. Sorry about that. That's a that's hard good. thing to say for a person who has a speech pen at, at <laughs> 10 o'clock at night. Anywho, The Devil and the White City, and one of the things that – so that it's it's this book about the Chicago Fair in eighteen like ninety three, and you have a lot of people's personal like reflections on that times that are being like well, you know like things that they like wrote down in like letters or just like they're like like diaries and and stuff. And one thing that keeps hitting me from that is how profound or how earnest and profound these people like writings were. Mm, their vocabulary, and, the way they describe things, yeah, and just like they poured themselves into this. 
And you can oh. tell that it took time, and they wanted to really like you know, like these weren't things that they thought people were going to like mm. read. This mm-hmm. these were like letters to their like brothers or to their sons, and things that they're just trying to you know and. I get really envious of that because I'm like, I don't have, I feel like I don't have time to do that. And this was a guy who like ran the world's biggest like fair, pretty much like one of the biggest events that's really ever like happened. And he had the time to like write to his son in a way that took a lot of heart and like thought and, and I, like when I, and when I hear you talk about those like things that like you, 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 like I always think like, how does Twitter change us? Yeah. And at times, I really just get worried that it changes me. I mean, I have thought so many times, that'd be a great tweet. I need to remember to tweet that. Yeah. And so instead of having deep, like, thoughts, really, really like, wrestle with anything, I'll just think in terms of 200-plus characters. Right, and you, don't, and you don't let it ruminate and gestate in your heart. You put it out there and are done with it. Whereas before Twitter, there was no way to get it out. And so you would have to ruminate and think and reflect and let the thought grow and develop. Uh, whereas I think now we just kind of discard it really quickly. There, there's, you know what's really interesting about what you just said? And I didn't realize this until right now. But, you know, I, I keep talking about how I just kind of drifted away from social media. Mm-hmm. I, I, and, wow, this is kind of funny. I really do think it's because I've been doing so much long-form writing lately. Like, I've been writing... I, I, I sit down, I play this one song of yeah, of a Jurassic Park theme song, slowed down 10,000%, and I just have that playing in the background. That is my writing song, and it's one hour long, um, and I just write. And the crazy thing is, I, I crank out about, I remember reading, I think it was Brandon Vaught talking about, when you want to write a book, you just crank out 700 words a day. Just worry about 700 words. And I'm writing like two, three, four thousand 4,000 words a day. And it is just like pouring out. And I started doing that about six, eight months ago. And that's really where, and I think that it might be like that. Like, I don't, I mean, I, it's, it's so easy to get onto social media and to put something out there and get a reaction. But it is, but it's not as satisfying as looking at my, like my, like looking at a like count to me now is not as satisfying as looking at how many words I've written right at the bottom of the page you know the word processor mm-hmm. and so and the, the other thing that i was going to say is it reminds me of that comment that um this woman lamented the rise of i think she was talking about instagram she lamented instagram and its effect on young teenage girls because in america we had a tradition of writing in diaries mm-hmm. you know girls wrote in diaries and she said the difference between a post and a diary is that a post is like news. It's happening now. It's this thing. Whereas a diary is the end of the day reflection and reflection mm. leads to, you know, it's not just experience that makes you wise. It's reflected experience. It could be like, Oh, I like this person. Oh, this was awful. And it can seem so petty, but for a teenage girl to write her stuff down and process mm. her own thoughts mm. And and men did too. Men journaled. I mean, like, how many times have we read like great authors and you find that they kept, you know, oh, this is from his yes. journals of blah blah. I just blah. bought I just bought Thomas Merton's journal today in a used bookstore. I've been reading it and I've just been so impressed at how beautifully he can describe or their letters. And I think, Hippie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, I, no, I have a book that's just yeah. literally the letters of Etienne Gilson and Henri de Lubac, and you know, it's like yeah. these letters are a book and they're amazing, and yet. 
I could never, I've never done anything like that. Like, would they saved their correspondences because they were meaningful? Yeah. And I, none of us are saving Facebook posts or or tweets. Yeah, uh. like I, I can remember. This is gonna yeah. great, age great me. point. Thanks for saying that, Kama. Yeah, well, because I can, I can remember in high school that when we would meet girls at Steubenville conferences, we would like get their addresses and then we would like write like letters and stuff. <laughs> it was just, this is right. This is at the early stages. So it was like a ninety-eight or so. And that was like the last time I ever really wrote like actual letters that I put in the mail to be sent to anyone. <laughs> yeah, I tell the inmates all the time yeah. at the prison I'm at that they are single-handedly keeping the post office alive because the only thing they can send is physical letters. Yes, yeah. And they all write. I mean, they all handwrite them and send them out. They can't type them. They don't have access to computers that could get on the internet. Ooh. So, Matt, like, what do you have any specific rules at all that you're going to try to follow during all of this, or? Uh, I, maybe I've said it all. I don't know. I'm going to give my phone to a friend who lives in the same city as me and tell him not to give it back to me till September 2nd. Uh, my wife's going to change the password on my two computers so that I won't know them. Um, but I'm not going to help her up. I usually help my wife upload her podcast, but she knows I'm not doing that for her. I, I'm not touching the computer. I might buy a flip phone. I haven't decided yet, like a cheap $10, $20, whatever they are, a month mm-hmm. kind of thing where I give my phone number to my wife and to my assistant, you know? Yeah. And I plan on my email vacation responder as well as my voicemail to say, you know, I'm taking the month away from internet and the phone. If you, this is an emergency, please contact my wife. And then I won't give them my wife's number because, you know, if it's really an emergency, they're going to know my wife's number. And if they don't, it's probably not an emergency or at least not one I'd consider an emergency. One of my fears is that there's going to be a lot of people who are texting me who have no idea that I'm doing this and they're going to feel like I'm mm-hmm. ignoring them. A little, I'm a little worried about that. Yeah. Well, that's That'd fair. be the only yeah. thing. Yeah. But as I as I said, like I, I I bought the brothers Karamazov, which I tried reading six years ago and just couldn't for some reason. I bought this. I was in Manhattan a couple of weeks ago. I bought that copy of the brothers, and I've already read like four chapters. I'm absolutely enthralled right now. And so, starting you know August second, I'm going to make sure I write out the reading plan and sorry, yeah, August second, and make sure I have it read by September second. So that's going to be one of my goals, and then just read sacred scripture and. That's Can it, I give really? you one pro tip for scripture? Please. Please, yeah. Just uh, wrestle with Romans. Really? Wrestle with Romans. Read it nice. I was almost going to say there's a great online. No. Uh, wrestle with Romans. One of the things that I did was I printed out, I, I copied. Yeah, I heard you say yeah. this. You got rid of the chapter headings, the numbers. Yeah, everything. There's no verses. Who's that bloke? Someone just wrote a translation of scripture and. Who was it? He's an Eastern Orthodox bloke. Super brainy guy. I don't know. Has written on the divine simplicity. Anyway, he just he just wrote a translation of gosh. Anyway. No, and then the one that I've uh that I've been reading lately is NT Wright did uh, a translation called The New Testament for Everybody. And uh-huh. it's it's a literal translation, so it's not a paraphrase, it's like the message. Or the living word or whatever. It's a literal translation in contemporary English. So his kind of thing is he puts it in the everyday language of everyday people, but he's still 100%. It's, he's not just like having fun with it, right? Like he's paraphrasing things. But it's so funny to read uh, how he translates stuff. But one of the very interesting things is in Romans, he translates it as um, instead of saying righteousness, he says covenant justice. 
And there's this one part in Romans 5 where it says God's righteousness over and over and over again. And he keeps saying God's covenant justice. God is faithful to his covenant justice. Yeah. So the idea is he's bringing you into the covenant, but you don't see that if you don't know what Paul's trying to get at. And, you know, obviously N.T. Wright's coming from a, an interpretive tradition, but I don't know. I loved it. And it's, it's changed. I'm, I'm an, an addict. I spent uh, today, I copied and pasted 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 13, and 14. So on the charismatic gifts and on faith, open love. Yeah. And I just which translation uh, the RSV two CE I always yeah. use that yeah. uh, that's it yeah that's what, that's what I'm going to read too hey I suspect that there's going to be another outpouring of the Holy Spirit and a revivification of the charismatic uh, movement do you feel that coming sorry I just hmm. went different direction no, I, there. I feel that there is going to be a purging of the charismatic movement. The likes of which mortal man hasn't seen. <laughs> I do. I, re- I really do feel like they're... Uh, so the charismatic renewal has always been awesome because it's... it's. What do you mean purging? And I couldn't tell if you were joking. I'm not, not joking. Uh, yeah. I think that there are... Ve- so what, what I was going to say was the charismatic movement has always been ecumenical. And uh-huh. in Catholic circles, it means, oh my gosh, yay, we get to... Re- recover the best that we kind of abandoned because of the reformation to protestants so mm-hmm. it's like we gave up faith and we kept works and we gave up scripture and we kept the sacraments and now it's like oh wait the we don't understand the sacraments without scripture and we don't understand who we're working for without faith and um yeah. so i think there is a recovery that the renewal has really put on us but i think it has come at the price of well number one there's diet charismatics People who aren't interested in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, but they like having their hands raised when they pray. Mm-hmm. And I think there's there's a weirdness there that needs to be kind of figured out. But then, and then I'll stop talking. Um, there is a an extraordinarily dangerous trend in Pentecostal thinking that has worked its way through both music and teaching, especially through internet, through YouTube, um, that Catholics are buying into whole cloth that mm-hmm. that are fundamentally anti-Catholic and I would say also anti-Protestant in many ways and Protestants because we're not like as familiar with the evangelical world they are fighting this stuff tooth and nail and a lot of people are like just calm down it's fine it's like no look at the origins of the latter rain movement these are health and wealth prosperity gospels oh, uh, sure. gospel peddlers which is not Christian it denies the role of suffering and you know all this stuff, but there's this whole element that um, uh, that that evangelicals are fighting. Even evangelical charismatics are fighting, and the Pentecostalism. There's a reason why they're called charismatics, as distinct from Pentecostals. Because uh, anywho, it's a lot. Of, it's this very interesting fight. What do you, so when you say purging, do you mean like a cleansing of whatever it, whatever charismatic means in the best possible? I way? I think that there is going to be a brawl amongst Roman Catholics over the understanding of what the charismatic renewal is and means. Going Hasn't that forward. been happening for 20, yeah. years, I think, 20 no, years? No, no, no. I think it's been happening within the Catholic church, but now I mean within the charismatic renewal, because I don't, I think a lot of people in the renewal have, le- have not focused on doctrine of the renewal as much as they focus on like, yeah, you know, we're not once saved, always saved. We don't peddle that, but you know, life in the spirit, blah, blah, blah. I don't mean like they're bumping heads with institutional church. I mean, within the renewal, I, I feel like okay. there's going to be a split. There's going to be a, 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 a war. I'm so far 
removed from all that that I have no idea. So I am too, and this is just me getting it from the outside. And I, you know, I, I was had a, I have a wonderful conversation with a friend of mine, and she's like, "What do you think about Trump?" And we had this long conversation. None of us got our feathers ruffled, although I suspect we have different beliefs on on certain things. But then we kept going back and forth, and then I said, "The real thing that's going to piss you off is what's going to happen with the renewal." <laughs> we start talking about that, and she's like yelling, <laughs> cutting me off, and I was like dismissing her. And then I just stopped, and I was like, "Okay, we need to." remember how friends how much friends we are and just hug hug it out yeah i'm nervous about it because i think i'm actually going to lose friends over some of the stuff really so wait oh there's so many things i know but i can't i i'm still here's my problem i'm still formulating it i'm still working through it and there are other people who are far ahead of me but they're afraid to speak because of their position throughout the institutional church and their position yeah it's just crazy Okay, but Matt, I'm curious to know why you think there's going to be a renewal. Well, see, it's always difficult when we use terms because they come with baggage. I suppose what I mean is I feel like there's going to be an outpouring of the Spirit upon the church to enable us to perform miracles, to prophecy, to prophesy, to to do the works of God, especially as we become more and more a persecuted church. Like the church is becoming more small, smaller. It's becoming, hopefully, the small church will be faithful. And um, I'm already hearing about powerful healings and things taking place at like Steubenville conferences and things like this. Uh Oh, I want to talk to you about a thing offline. (laughs) No, I agree with you. And again, I tend to be very cynical about these things. But the things that I'm hearing are from people that I would consider reliable. Yeah. And mm-hmm. No, I agree with um, you. And, and I, one thing I would add to that is it actually goes back to kind of what I was saying is, uh, and, and I do agree with you. I do believe there's a, a, a particular outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's happening right now. I think it is rooted in, for me, the charismatic renewal was a return to scripture and a return to the sacraments. It's everything Franciscan University student wanted it to be, you know, Father Mike, yeah. you know, wanted it to be. It's ecumenical. It embraces other people's faiths while acknowledging doctrinally we're different. Um, but at the same, the re- what's that? The, re- the reaction to it is that it's messy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm fine and with we, that. We don't mess. like, I am. We, yeah, well, that's good. I, a lot of people aren't fine with mess. Right. Especially or mess and abuse. I mean, that's all yeah. abuses of the charisms or so-called charisms. I think that can like pendulum swing to a sort of rigidity and the candlesticks need to be this height exactly. And you're like, what just happened? Yeah. And there's rigidity within the renewal as well. And I don't mean, I'm not yeah, criticizing. Yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah. That's right. It, it, it's just funny. It's like, um, I don't know if you've ever hang, hung out with old school charismatics, but yeah. no, you uh, don't do it that way. You do it this way. Uh, then the Holy Spirit sh- comes up. You know, then the Holy Spirit blesses. Mm-hmm. Then the Holy Spirit oh, manifests. I see. see, yeah, you guys have, I think, had way more experience in the renewal. Luke, I know you were raised in it than I have, so I'm just I'm speaking as an outsider, really. And the fun thing is I just was a part of, I didn't lead, but I was a part of the um, Faith in the Fire of the Holy Spirit, which is the Companions of the Cross version of a Born of the Spirit yeah. retreat. We just finished it today at my church. Um, hmm, and cool. uh, But the, what I was going to say was um, I, I 100% agree with you. There is an outpouring because I think we are – especially with books like Sherry Waddell's and some others that have preceded her, there is a, a return to Catholics to not just the scriptures, but to rigorously preach the Bible. I don't, I don't see it as rigorous yet, but this notion of like proclamation, proclaiming the risen Christ. And I was telling people that, um, well, I had mentioned it, I was talking with Sherry Waddell and I said, you know, all these things with the charismatic renewal is awesome. And she said, Mike, I want you to understand something a little bit broader than that. And she said, which I agree with you. It's, it's amazing. And I'm talking about the miracles, right? She said, 
there are retreats where all they do is just talk about the gospel and walk people through the, you know, the Catholic gospel message. And she said, and people there experience uh, prophecy and gifts of words of knowledge and um, radical healing, like physical, see it with your eyes right in front of you healing. And she said, and none of it was charismatic. None of it was, and she said, this is what happens Mm -hmm. when community in Jesus's name starts proclaiming him, that stuff happens. And the crazy thing was that actually happened to me and one of my groups we had um, – I, I had a potluck at my house, and all of these people were there. We had about 65 people in my house made for 15, and um, it was nuts, and it was crazy. And I just talked about the Beatitudes, and we prayed together. And then this woman said uh, – during prayer intention, she said, well, I have chronic migraines. And so we just prayed over. I said, can I, can I show you guys what it's like to just pray for and with and over each other? And they're like, yeah, yeah. So we all start praying, and I'm just leading a prayer. And – my wife's hand, she says she physically felt the migraine come out of this woman and into her hand, <laughs> you know, and my wife is, uh, you know, we've done Born in the Spirit, but she's not charismatic at all. Sure. And, uh, yeah. and this woman was healed right in the middle of the community. And another one was healed from a deep emotional wound from talking with these two women who are much younger than her. And they formed this intense friendship. And it's like, this is what happens when the body Glory of Christ to comes together and we're putting Christ in the front of it. So... I, if the charismatic renewal is the way that the Lord is going to do that, then I'm all on board. Yeah, and see, when I guess, again, when I say charismatic renewal, I, I guess I'm just talking about exercising the gifts yeah. and that the Lord is still healing in the church today yeah. through his body and not just sacramentally, yeah. but through the lay, laity as well. I guess that's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, this is a little bit too broad, so this might not really be true, but so broad that actually is is true. <laughs> Isn't that kind of Vatican II coming to be like what it's meant to be, though, is like really the – not the power of of the like lady, but the like lady being like the evangelizers yeah. within the church. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we're called you to know? be the royal priesthood. And – we, when we hear the word priesthood, we leave that up to the priests, the clergy, the ordained, the holy orders, and entering into our vocation, like really, really doing it. And this is the reason why I think I embrace the mess more than other people, and I'm a little bit more comfortable with it, even though I have very— But see, there's been a time in your life where you weren't like no, that, No, no, no. Right? That... Like you used to be very rigid. Oh, 100%. Isn't that what you said yeah. to me? And, and, and I've been there too. So that's what I'm saying. It's it's easy yeah. to embrace the mess after you've sort of rejected it and tried to be very rigid. Yeah, and I would say the reason being is the call of evangelization as it's un, like happened in my heart. Like I meet people who are so gifted in evangelization they can't turn it off. Kind of like what you were talking about, like the Lord speak to you and, and you're in the waiting room of a doctor or whatever. I you know I have yeah. friends who literally are just they just they walk into a, uh, an airport and they're like, all right, Lord. Who's he going to be? Who's she going to be? Who do, who do I need to talk to? And they'll just get this and they'll just have these conversations. People will change their lives. My yeah. evangelization is not like that, but um, the more I do it. <laughs> I prefer to be paid exorbitant amounts of money and sent up on a stage. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but, but the more I do it, the more comfortable I am with the mess because I've yet to meet a person who's never heard the gospel that doesn't have a messy life. And I've nep- yeah. never met a person who really, really loves the gospel that doesn't have a messy life. Like, that's the difference, I think. I don't know. I don't know. Beforehand, I was, I was the king of going through the motions. And so being rigid was, was how I expressed my faithfulness when you're going through the motions. I was trying to, this is just me, I was lying to myself trying to justify my own existence 
by being fanatical about the Catholic faith. And what I didn't realize was, but I always suspected, was I didn't actually have faith. I had a system. And now that I have faith, I see what the institutional church is meant to be. Right, yeah. You see why the system's there. Yeah, but it's, and I love the it's system. Both, it's both yeah, ends. I, it's both yeah. ends, yeah. And I was either or. And so when you become either or, you get super defensive about it. Mm-hmm. You know? So... I do. I, I just kind of. Um, yeah, Luke. What do you th- think? I want to get get your thoughts on all this. I just had a thought that just really um, uh, hit me, and I dropped my like focus right thing. So if you guys can't hear me, let me know. No, nope, um, can hear you fun. Okay, so I've, I I actually brought this up in one of my meetings I had yesterday. I, I do think there is a push towards. Um, I think the Lord wants. To, I think He's healing a lot of people. You know, there's there's been this push towards like both like especially as it relates to pornography and just like the wounds of the culture of death. So I m- might have had a meeting with with one of uh, a big person in the church here in the country, one of the s- successors of the apostles, and one of the things that I told him was, I think we we have to move to a point where, um. We don't talk about the culture of death as a threat, but as like the, what has been the damage from the culture of death. Now, you know this—that's that's the hospital field. That's the that's like like battlefield where we have to go and treat the yeah. wounded. At and I think there has been this push in the past five years to start to move in that direction. Where there's a lot of healing of the heart. That I think, and I, and I, I, I honestly, I did see a thing of the body as well that I kind of like freaked me out. I'm still trying to like come to come to terms. Like I'm really trying to like grasp and understand what actually happened with that. Um, so I, I, I do think there is a thing going on where you're seeing a lot of people go. Wait, I'm not okay, and if God is God and He wants me to be okay, then I have to find healing, whether it be through group therapy or through going to counseling or starting to like really like really get to these things that's like this is not just a thing that i believe but this has got to be a like if like i i i'm almost at a point now where when i like you know give talks whatever and i and people i'm like if where they ask like how like how do you try to build up like how do you you know grow in your own relationship with god one of the things that i've really caught myself starting to say is that if God isn't healing you right now, if there's not healing going on in either small or like, you know, big, like big ways, why? Why isn't that happening? Because if he's constantly doing that in the Gospels, shouldn't that be going on in your life? Again, in small and big ways. Mm-hmm. And I think you're starting to see more people kind of uh, want that. And I think one thing we need to be talking about more is this idea that we're not battling flesh and blood alone. Yeah. Like we are against yeah. yep. the uh, demonic forces and there's a temptation and I've fallen into it as well as I've tried to reach out across the aisle to secular people to make this an entirely sort of philosophical thing, you know? And um, I'm the first to say that if you're addicted to porn, you need therapy and not to over spiritualize it. I'm the first mm-hmm. to say that. And I keep people seeming, keep getting offended by that for some weird reason. Um, but yeah, it's like we have an enemy who hates us tremendously and wants us to be in hell for all eternity. And it's like, I mean, to be as grim and as dramatic as I can, because I think it is that dramatic, you know, like there are people dying who are going to hell and heaven 
every day. And it's it feels like the devil's making a home run right now. You look around, you know, the glorification of sexual immorality. And we need more Jeremiah's, I think, who can step up and point out just how atrocious that is and how wicked it is. But we don't seem to, I don't see that. It's like a confusing time. Like it's a very bloody confusing time. Trump, Brexit, Francis. And we feel, some Catholics feel like sheep without a shepherd. And you've got people either running to Michael Voris who may not be helpful, I don't know, but they just want black and white, clear it up. And there's a lot of us just are in confusion. Like, Lord, lead your church. Like, what? Uh, there you go. Some thoughts. So there was a no, lot. I think you're right. Like, it, it is really, we're in a period where I, I like, this is really, like, they're not, sorry, I, I feel like this has been the doom and gloom pod podcast, but like there's what I do <laughs> where I just want to go like, this is really bad, right? Like this is like, yeah, looking around, really right? Bad. Guys, anyone, you, you guys freaking out about this as well? <laughs> like, yeah. My, I'm exactly. honestly at a point now where there are times where I, and you know, like, okay. And I totally understand. I'm a suburban white male. So I understand. Uh, that. You're not really um, suburban. I've seen where you live. <laughs> But why does that, that matter that you're a suburban white male? What does that have to do with anything? Well, I think because with what I'm about to say, some people will, will, will be like, you've had it. You've really had it easy. You know, just Ugh. so like now. But I am at a point now where and I <laughs> exactly yeah, what um, a terrible, bloody, judgmental thing for somebody to I say. Know. It you, just sucks because thing about you. It's it just it, it, when people say things like that, it makes it feel like your pain doesn't matter. You know, like the yeah. suffering that you've experienced doesn't, you know, and so that's, um, uh, no, it's, I, I just, there are times when I just, I, it's starting to happen where I get more and more uncomfortable talking about who I work for and what I do there. And I, I, I can't tell you why it's happened, nor can I pinpoint to anything that's been very like weird when it's happened, but there's been a shift in the past three and a half years that I've been that I've had that I've like had this job where when I when I'm asked what I do I get a weird I get an uncomfortable response or it from, just feels from those in the church or those who aren't necessarily um, Catholic for the most part outside of the church you know just like if I'm at like the furniture store or I'm at the grocery store or I meet like a friend at like sure. you know there's just it's just um, there's just been this little change and it could just be in my head. That I, you know, but I don't know. I just feel like there's. Well, I mean, like, the church has happened. come to represent complete, uh, you know, oppression of freedom and license. And so, if you really are somebody who takes their Catholic faith seriously and aren't just a Catholic by name, then yeah, like that's a threat against secular orthodoxy. Don't you think? I mean, I was just in Manhattan, and everywhere I went, there were these big signs for transgenderism youth. I go into a bookstore. There's a big bowl of condoms. I go to a secondhand store. I'm walking out, and it says, you know, anti-bigotry, anti-homophobia. Like, we don't accept any of this here. And I thought, well, what do you mean? Like, am I allowed to think that the homosexual act is disordered but still love people who are homosexual? Is that allowed? No, that wouldn't be allowed. I'd be shouted at and hated on. And yet they claim to be champions of love. I mean... Yeah, it's yeah. like uh, let the persecution begin or stop being a Christian. Like I, I, I feel like the the line has been drawn and it's always been there, but it feels like it's growing more distinct. I do. Can yeah. I can I just yes. chime in here a Please. little bit that I I think is interesting. So, um 
there's a really awesome article from a guy named Matthew Crawford who wrote the book um, Shop Class of Soulcraft and the World Beyond Your Mind. And he just wrote a category for uh, the Hedgehog Review called Privilege. Uh, I sent it to you guys in the, um, in the chat, uh, chat yeah. window. Um, it's really fascinating. Where The word privilege uh, under the ancient regime was it meant private laws. So the clergy and the uh, uh, um, aristocrats had a separate set of laws that governed them, and the peasants had to carry tax revenue. And so you could buy your way into these uh, to hold venal offices uh, like the inspector of cheeses, and all of a sudden you were a nobleman, you didn't have to pay taxes. And so when the crown wanted to raise a bunch of money really quickly, they would sell a bunch of these offices at the expense of future tax revenue, right? Mm -hmm. And so you had the poor, so the poor taking more and more of the burden. And so privilege is... uh, is parasitical, right? So it is people then can get out of the public law by having their own custom tailored private law, which is what the word literally means of privilege. And so when you hear the word privilege today, uh, it's often counterposed with underprivileged. So for instance, if you are born with two parents or raised by two parents, you are privileged because the majority of kids born today are no longer born with two parents and grew up with your two parents. But now that just means something like good fortune, like, okay, the majority of people in the country are white and speak English. You are white and speak English. Therefore, you are like the majority of the people in the country. You're allowed to have certain you know, access to things because you're one of us. You, you never felt like an outsider, right? And so one of the things about minorities, no matter what minority you are, if you're a minority like I was in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, I was a Catholic. Um, if you do something wrong or stupid or something that someone doesn't like, people can easily predicate that to your whole group, right? So it's like, oh, you know those Catholics, right? I was just talking to a Catholic the other day, and they were talking about the Pope. They all worship the Pope, you know, right? They, you, it immediately gets predicated to the whole group, whereas if you belong to the majority, it doesn't get predicated to the group. Huh. So if you see a bunch of white guys walking, you know, teenagers walking down the street, and they're being belligerent right. asses, you're like, that guy's an ass, but if you see a bunch of yes. black guys do it, you're like, man, I tell you, these black teenagers, right? People do that yeah. all the time. That's kind of like, and that was that was true of me growing up. We there was a small group of Italians, you know, in Port Pirie, South Australia. It was the same yeah. thing, you know. So, oh, there's Italians, and you'd have these derogatory names for them. Yeah. But the and the interesting thing that he points out in this article is that this the word privilege being used today describes a mood not at all an arrangement. Like in the past, it was an arrangement, this private laws, right? Um, but now it's a mood that's becoming a weapon, right? And so people are being attacked at it. But the amazing thing that he points out is the, the fomenting of, of all this rage today. Uh, is It's not coincidental that it's in college campuses, that this is getting like super out of control. Mm. And his whole point is, if you actually study like the French Revolution and French communists and ex-communists, one of the things they say is, it takes the bourgeois to be anti-bourgeois. The poor don't huh. care because they're barely alive. The rich are uh. elitist, and they're already. It, it takes that that bourgeois phenomenon in order to truly hate the bourgeois, the bourgeoisie, right? And so his whole yeah. point. I, I'll just throw out this one line where he says um, uh, that basically. The, the bourgeoisie and the French Revolution, that's when it was invented. This whole class of people that weren't noble, but they weren't peasants anymore. They were moneyed. They didn't own land, but they had capital. And then they had industrial resources and all this stuff. He said, but the thing, the characteristic of it was it was completely undefined. 
And so he says, so your status is always in flux or potentially so. Um, so he says that we look around and compare ourselves to our contemporaries. So bourgeois society is fundamentally competitive, hence the rise of capitalism. One has to perform one social value anew each day. And this is the culture of death, right? If you're not productive, you're not of worth. And then he says that's what social media is for. And to maintain a high-performance personality, it helps to have the right mix of mood or attention-enhancing pharmaceuticals. And he goes on to describe this whole mentality and what it does to us. And then he just basically says it evolves into this. So he says, uh, but simply in becoming more noisy about equality won't do the trick. Some conceptual innovation was needed, one that would shift in terms of the way is easy in such a way as to ease the contradiction between the reality of inequality in the world and the fact that it feels unjust. And so their suffering kind of tinged with it all. And that's where the word diversity comes in. Diversity is meant to be this marketing bludgeon that, that has such overwhelmingly moral tones, but it's, it's a tool of the bourgeoisie. It's just fascinating. I got to read it. Yeah. Yeah. I sent it to y'all. Yeah. It's really great. It's really great. It's only like a page and a half, two pages. How do you think it all ends? Like, like I, I've really so I've I think I brought this up on the on the podcast before, but I've been into this really great book about the about the Russian like revolution yeah. and what happened to all of the aristocrats. Called the book's called Former People, and I think about our culture constantly because you you can just see that all of the aristocrats they see it coming and they're like, as bad as this is going to be. We're at fault for part of this for how we've treated the poor, for how bad this has all gotten. But then you see what you know the people did, and like during 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 like overall like revolution and how horrific it it was, and it's terrifying. I mean, it's absolutely horrible. And at times, I wonder, I'm like, where does this go? Like like right now, when I look back on you know. When I'm starting to look back on history, it's starting to rhyme a bit. And I'll be honest, it scares the hell out of me sometimes. It really does. Like, where does this go? I, like, how does this end? I guess I don't really understand. I don't know what part you're oh, talking about. Sorry. sorry. No, it's um, okay. I'm, I was waiting for Goma to chime in because I thought maybe he might. No, no, no. no I, I probably have a good point. So, like, this whole. Um, this whole upheaval that we have going on within our culture right now of everything. I, yeah, I guess I didn't even know what that is. Like, it's, what is yeah, it? Okay, I don't so, even, many of us don't know what the heck's happening. It feels like <laughs> it feels like chaos, and some people seem to be able to put their finger on the pulse a little bit. Like, I, I actually think Jordan Peterson is doing a fine job doing that. Uh, even do you though see how like hated he get, how how much hate he gets from certain right. people, yeah. and there are things where I'm like, he says some stuff. I'm like, like. Okay, the fact that with Jordan Peterson that we just can't go, I like ninety five percent of what he says. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes I get he says so stuff exhausted. That I don't really agree with, but like yeah. it, it becomes this whole like. No, nope, that's not allowed. You either have to totally yeah, hate like, him or totally worship him. That's your only constant, option. Yeah. I mean, this constant like screaming at each other about like the injustices of the world. So. Um, like the fact that certain things that like my that people I know do for people who identify as having same sex uh, having same sex attraction, they have to do it outside of the city limits because it's technically illegal to do it here. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the fact that Catholic schools now and like what happened with like what if you are forced to give um, pass out condoms 
birth control issues um, within like insurance and things like that. Um, this idea that if you're not completely for LBGTQ rights as it's as it's currently defined by the pop culture by you know like zeitgeist, you're a bigot and a monster. You know that where does this end? That's I guess that's what as 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 I like read history and I see certain things and I can go because I see I see, I can point towards how. Some things that have gone on within a culture, like, yeah, that's you have a right to be angry about that. But, like, where does it all end, though? This whole upheaval of everything. I have no idea. I, I am so uneducated and so I, – I'm so – I have no idea. I don't even know what I don't know. I think, like, the, the, the answer for the church is that we have to remain faithful to Christ, which means both truth and kindness. Like, it's not – it's not truth that we use to hit you really hard without charity, uh, and it's not a sort of quote-unquote charity which lacks truth. Of course, charity always contains truth. So I think it's standing faithful to Christ and what the church teaches with love and uh, and being faithful to him. I mean, that's that's what I want to do. And and wherever, wherever, what, however, any, wherever the, it ends up, like that's what we're being called to do, to be faithful to Christ. That's a glib answer, but I don't. No, no. Well, and, and like that's that's the harper though, because right, because it's it, and it's almost hard to define exactly what's happening, because, um, it's what am I what am I trying to say here? Um, I think what it is, it's the end of Western it's the end of the West. Like we're, we're kind of beyond the point to where I think it's, it's gone and it's done and it's over with. And you, what you're seeing now is what tends to happen when things end is there's constant upheaval and some of the upheaval is good and like a, a whole bunch of it's bad. And I think that's what's going on right now. There and was I, a chapter Goma. You still there? Sure. I am. You know that book uh, by Alistair McIntyre where he contrasts Nietzsche with Aristotle? He basically talks about if there is no – you have to choose between Nietzsche and Aristotle. If there is no telos, yeah. then there's just strength, and that's all it is. Everything's just a power play. There's no truth. Yeah, yeah. it's my favorite it book of all It feels like that yeah. – right, so you know more about this than me because I haven't read it. But um, so you need a lot more than me about this. But it seems like that's where it's at. You know, it's like there's this like return to this these communist ideals – on the left that people keep talking about now and everything seems to be about identity politics and power and truth isn't something we're that concerned about yeah the the, well the big thing is it's called the emotivist culture that when you 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 start with the virtues plural and then eventually that degrades over time into virtue which is the virtue of obedience or you could say the virtue of justice but it's really meant to be obedience to law and that's how morality um is truly like um uh its growth is stunted right so you have the many virtues then you have virtue obedience and then and that's what we have today so whether you're talking about Immanuel Kant and obeying the categorical imperative or you're talking about consequentialism or utilitarianism. They have a rule-based scheme that they're that they're touting. And he says, but then you come to this stage where you realize all of that is BS. And Nietzsche, he says, is right. Nietzsche is totally right. 
and his critiques. Yeah. But he takes enlightenment morality to be morality as such. And because you do that, he's destroying Kant and John Stuart Mill and Jeremy Bentham and all these guys. He's destroying all their arguments, and then he thinks he's destroyed Christianity. He's destroyed morality. He's an atheist, you know, all this stuff. He says all of that is a mask of the will to power. So then what comes after that is what, what's called essentially emotivism. And you see this uh, all over our culture today where we don't have to give reasons. Damn it. This is how I feel. Yeah. And it's not just yeah. emotionalism. It's <clears throat> that you actually it's a destroying of moral language where you say, like, if I were to say, like, dude, I really love this. Like, this is this is a good thing for you to do. This is a good virtue for you to practice. You know, chastity. This is a good thing for you to have. They would say, no, really what you're saying is you're using the will to power to disguise your real language. And your yeah. real language is, I like this. You should like it too. And that's it. You can't – and so McIntyre like rips that argument apart. But he says it always tends to this path. You go from many virtues to one virtue, obedience, to then after virtue, which is emotivism and the will to power. It, it will always collapse that way. And that's what we're watching. And so that's why he ends his book by saying – uh, it is not that the barbarians are at the gate. They've been ruling us for quite some time now. And so the whole <clears> – <throat> basically the whole world is looking for a new but doubtless very different St. Benedict. And then you have the whole rise of the Benedict option kind of in response to that. Hmm. Oh, toodles. That's from my Mickey Mouse Clubhouse fan. I, just, I felt like I, mean, I just I went on this whole tirade and, and <laughs> no one said anything. And I was like, no, it was powerful. Oh, no, <laughs> oh, toodle. no, are you kidding? I, no, you're a very intelligent and articulate bloke. And I love listening to you. I was just trying to take it in. <laughs> Luke, are you I'm reading Mac? Just receiving you, man. I'm just receiving you. <laughs> I have this article up on critiquing uh, the old Mickey Mouse uh, shows with the new ones. And the old ones, it's like about stuff in the world that really exists that could become an object of violence and frustration. And now nothing in the world is a problem. It's just – have you ever seen Mickey Mouse the Clubhouse, the new one? No. So they just – basically everything's magic and technology. And whenever they encounter a problem, they summon a uh, a device, oh, toodles, and this magical device comes down from the clouds and gives them four options uh. to problem solve. So it's not about like – getting hit in the face with an ironing board or, or goofy sliding off a cliff because he drove too fast. It's like no one gets hurt. Everyone's fine. You know, there's no slapstick anymore. There's no physical reality. It's all virtual reality. Oh, funny. And the, the big thing right in the middle is, oh, toodles, which is why I said that. All right. <laughs> so you had a very uh, – I, I get your question, Luke. I just – I'm not smart enough or cultured enough no. to be able to give it a – answer and and you weren't probably you were just probably trying to think this through not look for an answer i know yeah i i just i guess i think something's going on i think there's something within the pulse of our culture right now we all feel like, it man this isn't good this isn't good like just yeah. there's there and again there i personally think there are some things that are going on that i'm like this like these are good things to talk about but the way we're it's it's not even i guess what's what's starting to scare me is that at sometimes it's not even what we're talking about, but it's the how we're doing it. That's what yeah. scares me the most. For for me, what's been troublesome or bothersome is that we can't have certain conversations, and that's why podcasts are popular. That's why podcasts like this are popular, because we can sit down, 
just chat, not have any of the answers, but there's no sort of mm-hmm. political correctness police telling us what we're allowed to say and not allowed to say. Yeah, I'm curious to see how, like, I, I, I'm curious to see when you're done with all of the, when you're done with your internet break. Are, like, if you're, if like, if what has changed for you the most is like, your amount of anxiety has that gone down or like, do you feel, do you still like, do you feel things on a more, do you just feel more on, on like, on like a deeper level? Do you feel you have higher highs and more profound lows, but in like interesting, like it sounds a little bit odd, but like a, like a good, like a good sorrow, not an anxious one. I don't know. I'm just being hypothetical. Yeah. I I don't know. So I'll let you know. I mean, if you take I, away the anesthetic that is yeah, technology. probably brutal. Hey, let's be honest, too. We, all, we probably all have a romanticized view of what life would be if we quit the internet. And, you know, like we, yeah. So there's, that's probably going to be the discovery. I planted an orchard. <laughs> 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 well, honey, one month later, I have an orchard <laughs> finished, and now I'm speaking Russian, let alone reading the Brothers Karamazov. Ex- totally right totally that's exactly right but what's going to happen is day two will hit and i'm like i'm a really uninteresting person and i got nothing to do and it doesn't feel good you know that's what will happen but that's good that's exactly what i think should happen are you going on are you doing any speaking gigs or anything like that at all i i have one speaking gig but it's in atlanta so or near atlanta so it'll just you're gonna have to buy a map <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, uh, yeah, a map, yeah, or, or buy one of those, uh, what are they called, those, yeah, GPS from uh, Walmart and then return it the next day. <laughs> Hi, um, I'm used to... Serves you I'm, right for having such a loose return policy. I am used to robots telling me how to, you know, walk. Fem- female electric voices. <laughs> hey, jackass, turn now. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the real robot? Do 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 do. What if like the whole time you're just like that's a uh, internet is uh, a lot better than what I thought. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna surprise everybody, guys. I can't, I've found the truth. The internet is awesome. You do not want to quit it. You want to spend more time on it. Guys, and more social media. Funny, funny thing. I got really lazy and really fat. Did not see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out when you sit all day and read books, kind of does the same thing to your body when you sit all day and read you, blogs. Turns out when you sit down and read books about planting orchards for 30 days and never do it. <laughs> it's just as bad as reading a blog about planting orchards <laughs> and never do it. <laughs> Uh, oh man, God is here in this awesome. conversation. He is moving. It's gonna be weird. <laughs> it's, it's gonna be very weird, like not communicating with you, even just through like Twitter or things like that for a month. You know, or just like knowing that like you could totally off the grid. Like you're just gonna be gone. Isn't that That's funny? But isn't doesn't that say a lot about our dependence on the internet? That this seems like a big deal. Like mm-hmm. we're all like, oh my. Gosh, it shows just what a unhealthy relationship you might have. Wait, one of the best analogies I, I've thought of in regards to the internet and how it distracts us is this: I was home in Australia a couple of years ago, and there was a police raid across the road from my house. And police raids don't happen in Port Pirie, South Australia, ever. So the fact that it was happening across the road from my house was pretty exciting. There are about three or four police cars, and the whole raid lasted about six hours. 
there were police surrounding the perimeter for a long time. You know, they were shouting things. They were, you know, okay, so my family spent that day looking out of the window. And it, that looking out of the window was occasionally interrupted by a quick meal, half of which we ate while looking out the window, right? That window that distracted and interrupted our life is the internet. It's like we're so afraid that something's happening and I need to see it that we forget to just do the things that humans should do, like look at each other in the eye and talk to each other lazily and plant orchards or something, you know? It's just... uh, And it was like a frantic thing. Like, it was exciting. It was continually exciting. But at the end of the day, it's like, what the hell did I do today? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. What, What was I thinking? And that's the internet. It's that it's that window that sucks us in and leaves us with a, a stupor instead of uh, fulfillment and satisfaction. I think. How crazy would it be if the Amish were actually right? I think they're more right than most of us. There's know? a guy, um, Patrick uh, Deenan, up in Notre Dame, and he loves the Amish. It seems like he does think that they're right. One of the things that they do is, as a community, they essentially decide whether what new technology that's been invented should be adopted into the community. And they argue over whether – because we just think, like, oh, they just froze their life in 1665 or whatever. Um, But they they talk about this stuff because they want to know what detrimental effects it will have to the wider community, to community life. And so if there is an invention of a thing that allows all of your entertainment, all of your education, you know, all of your social connectedness to be consumed, not just individually, but privately through earbuds, a tiny personal screen as opposed to a big screen, what does that do for community? It destroys it. You know, like there's no other path. Like we can pretend that social media means I really do have 1,500 friends. But I don't. I don't. But it's the 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 closeness of its proximity to real life is the decept the power of its deception. And so by saying, "Oh, people like what I said," and they have commented on it and they've shared it, I didn't actually have a conversation with anyone, right? And so I think that that's the danger with with a lot of this stuff that it's so personally and privately consumed that we have to go out of our way to be public people again, to be social people again, to be interpersonal people again. And that, I think, is the real danger because, um, Matt, when you had little kids, did you have one of those VTech toys that they kind of stand up next to and they slap a plastic button and a little light goes off and then they push another button and it makes a little boop, you know, and stuff like that? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what the phone is to an adult. Right, yeah. because the the toddler, other than that, doesn't have any agency in the world, right? But when they push a button, it lights, it causes an effect that and uh, that they can't do in almost anything else in their lives. And I don't know if you've seen little kids with those things, but if you, if they're playing with it and you take it away, they will go nuts, and they're not right. seeing a visible change. Like it's not like uh, they're spinning around a jack in the box and it pops up and it's playing music and all this stuff. It's this. It's it's all it's all digital, right? It's just a little bit of light and um, buttons that don't even correspond to anything. So you have this. You know, they have a fake keyboard. You know, no matter what you play, it plays the same note. And that is kind of like what screens are, especially through social media for us. It's it's all been set up to make you want to press the button again and again 
Yeah. And again, it feels like agency, but in most of the ways, it's not. That's right. Yep. And it, pre- and it prevents us from doing something interesting. One book I would recommend to everybody is Anthony Esselin's book, uh, what is it, Out of the Ashes, Rebuilding American Culture. I think that's the subtitle. I've got that. I haven't read it, but I've got it. Oh, that. gosh, please read it. Yeah, get listen to it on Audible or something, but it's just incredible. Yeah, I read uh, that and the Benedict Option in the same week, yeah. kind of like complimentary. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, I feel like uh, yeah, both were excellent. I think Anthony Esselin's was better. I think uh, I think uh, what's his name here at Benedict Option would agree. It's just a very, very coherent, well-written rant. It is a rant. It definitely feels like that. Yeah, but it's an excellent rant. It's a rant that has to be said. Like, what did he say? He says we we raise our sons, you know, who who haven't left home at the age of thirty, and yet we disparage those old institutions that turn boys into men. We divorce more readily than we sell houses. He just lays it out there, and you read it, and you, you can be offended, but is he wrong? <laughs> Walking through Target today, right before dinner, uh, I went and picked up some wine and <laughs> was walking through Target and I was like, is this what we've become? <laughs> I'm just looking at all these people. I was like, did your parents really let you shave your head like that? Really? Is this what we've become? <laughs> Are you not entertained? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I despair of tomorrow. You know what's really interesting? I was, uh, I was, I was over at my, uh, I was over at my godparents' house t- today and they brought up the fact that my godmother's mom she said that one of the things she really hated about getting older was she felt like people just didn't care about her anymore like that, that she felt just like she could go out into the city and the people just wouldn't even like see her she was she was basically invisible and they were kind of saying and i mean they were joking about it, but they started to feel that way as well that as they got older they were just insignificant well there's no place for them because like they use it's they, such like a young culture. Yeah, I mean, it's not just a young culture; it's an impossibly ever younger culture, right? Because new things are coming out. Like we always joke about, like I, I I fired up Snapchat. I have no idea what I'm doing, so I just close Snapchat. Like that's a, even a, 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 a people five years younger than me to ten years younger than me. They get it. I don't. And it's this thing that um, if you don't have a family where older people or a culture where older people are reverenced and invested still with power and authority and wisdom because of their wisdom and experience, what else can they give you? What else can they get? Werther's Originals? Like, what else? (laughs) 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 Play-by-plays of the latest Matlock episode? What else can they give you, right? They're not productive. They're retired. They move too slow to be of consequence to the workaday world. So they're removed from the workaday world. But the workaday world has consumed everything. Like it's consumed childhood. Well, Johnny, you better play Pee Wee football. Why? Well, who cares about your concussions, boy? You're gonna you might you might be third string in a college one day or something like that. Like we kill like we do all this crazy stuff that we never did for kids back then. You know, when they you know but what, what do you do with what do you do with an eighty year old? That moves very slowly when they walk. Yeah. I don't you know, put man. them at Walmart and you make jokes about them, like as a greeter, you know, like, yeah, I mean, we, that's the problem is we have, thank you for saying that, Luke. Holy crap. I am going to double down the- with my seniors at my, uh, at my church. I did an event for them and they were like so thankful that a young man would speak to them. And I just sat there, literally, I sat there for two hours 
asking everyone at my table questions about their childhood and growing up and their 20s and 30s and any lessons they want to give me and all that stuff. It was one of the best days I've ever had. Senior pals, man. Senior pals. I'll be a pal. I'll be a pal to you, seniors. <laughs> we just heard um, <laughs> like how your thought process works there. Oh, oh, I'll be a pal. I'll be a pure pal. external processing just took place. I'll be a pal. <laughs> I'll be a pal. I'll be a pal. <laughs> how dare you shame me? I'm diverse, man. <laughs> I'm not shame. I think it's beautiful. I'm, I'm diverse. <laughs> it's twelve o'clock here. I'm. Uh, I'm on. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I, uh, I've enjoyed our chat, but I think I've. <laughs> oh gone. man, you guys suck. I just warmed up. <laughs> well, on to Fortnite. <laughs> Take the pain away, anesthetic apathy. Like... Take the pain away. <laughs> Technica, something. Uh, the yes, anima technica. Technica vacua. Your uh, technological. Are, you were so right. Your animalistic well, technical vacuum. I feel like I had nothing to contribute in this episode i hope that any of that was usable feel free to trim it no, down it to good. five minutes <laughs> hey good night mate i'm matt frad I... and goodbye oh. <laughs> <laughs> we were able to do all other things that we like always do when when like we have you on i was able to ask a thing that made no sense at all uh no, that's not yeah uh... gilmore went on his rants i just like sat there it was good